everybody, Lindsay Smith, Chief Strategy Officer for Title Alliance, here with another edition of Title Alliance Live. With me today, I am privileged and honored to have John Israel. John is the founder and Chief Gratitude Officer of Mr. Thank You, a consulting firm focused on client and employee retention. John is one of the most sought after speakers and trainers who teaches companies, both big and small, how to become irreplaceable by creating thriving, profitable business relationships both inside and outside of the organization. In 2016, John started a personal social experiment around human connection that became a worldwide movement, a book, a TEDx talk titled The Mr. Thank You Project. John's Mr. Thank You story has been featured on ABC News, Fox News, Good Morning America, and his clients include global brands such as Square, Salesforce, Ronald McDonald House, and many others. John's goal is to rehumanize the workplace and the marketplace by teaching people how to express authentic gratitude, respect, and appreciation. He lives in Plano, Texas with his wife, four children, and loyal Chihuahua. Please welcome John Israel. John, it's hey, so great to have you me. today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lindsay. You know, it's really fitting that we're having this conversation. As I'm getting ready to get set up this morning, I realize that my computer needs updates, nothing's set up for me, I've got to rebuild the studio, and I f find myself sitting here with this immense sense of frustration. And knowing I was going to talk to you, I said, how can I find gratitude in this moment? And I thought that might be a really great place to start. I've had the privilege of hearing you speak and have you be at our team meeting. One of the things you talked about is how really your gratitude started from a place of frustration. Do you want to share that with us? Yeah, uh, that's a, absolutely. And, and I loved our opening with that as we were before we started recording, because um, that's life. You know, it, I, my nickname is, uh, of course, Mr. Thank You. And with a nickname like Mr. Thank You, there's an assumption of like, you are a certain way and, you know, you, you act a certain way. And, and I'm a business owner, a small business owner, just like most people who are listening to this. And I get kicked in the teeth every day in business, just like all of you. And you know, the, the genesis of this conversation, where it came from, is from a social movement I started back in 2016, um, which was birthed out of a really challenging place in my life. Uh, so I run a company called Mr. Thank You. We're a strategic, we started as a strategic gifting firm. So we work with, uh, you know, real estate agents, loan officers, home builders all over the country. We help them build gifting strategy of how they would love on and appreciate and ultimately send gifts to their clients and their teams. So you could say my business was all about gratitude, um, but uh, I was the most ungrateful person you'd ever met. Um, I was overworked, overwhelmed, and so unhappy. I was ready to walk away from everything that I'd worked so hard to build. And I think that's a common sentiment in entrepreneurship where we, we have this vision of what we think our business will be like when we build it the right way. And Yet we go after it and we start you know, plugging away and building this business and client relationships. And then it just gets to a point where it's taking so much from us that you know we didn't build the American dream. We've kind of built the American nightmare, if you will. And I didn't know there was a problem really until I came home one day and I do what I normally do, which is complain about my day <laughs> to my wife. And at the time we had, uh, we had a, an infant son and I was just complaining about clients or vendor issues or whatnot. And my wife interrupts me 
And I'll, I'll never forget because the visual was perfect, which was she was nursing our infant son in one arm and then handwriting thank you cards in her other hand to the people who had supported her during her pregnancy. And she just interrupts me and says, sweetheart, if you can't appreciate what we have now, who's to say you'll be any happier when you finally get what you say you want? And it was just one of those quotable moments that she she shared a truth with me that unfortunately sometimes as spouses we have to share with each other and she was right you know i was miserable but i had everything i wanted like that's a crazy thing lindsay i had you know a, a great business i was making great money i was married we bought our first house we had our first child on my list of life goals i was pretty much hitting everything yet i still wasn't happy and so you know, I'll, I'll summarize a little bit of the story, but I hired a coach to work with me and really get me, get me out of this funk. And he had me focus on two things. Number one was vision, which is why does your business exist? Why are you here? And I didn't have a great answer because for me, business was really a means to an end because, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, right? I was a, from a family who struggled, uh, the youngest of five kids, uh, parents sent all five of us through private Catholic school, not cause they could afford it, but just because they really valued education. And you know, I I'll never forget one day coming home from school and seeing a notice on my parents' table that my sister's tuition was three months behind. And if it wasn't paid up front and full, she'd be kicked out of school. And that for me really drove a decision that I want to be very successful. So this never happens to my family. And so for me, success was, was about finances. It was about, about winning the financial game. And I was, but I still wasn't happy. So clearly my vision was wrong. And so I worked on this with my coach and we came out with this vision for our, our gifting company, which is that who we are at Mr. Thank You is all about elevating the level of gratitude on the planet. And it was very meaningful and, and I thought it was very uh, profound and, and aligned. Uh, but my coach challenged me with this question, which was, hey, John, how would I know those were your values um, if you didn't have to tell it to me? Such a challenging question for most leaders, right? You can put on your business cards on the, your wall, like, hey, here's what we value, here's what we care about. But how would people know that in your behavior? And he was right. Um, the second thing he had me working on was my habits. So I was reading books on habits. One was called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And you know, ultimately what came out was this idea of how can I create a habit that will help me experience gratitude on a consistent, regular basis so I can actually live out and embody these corporate values that I said, quote unquote, matter to me. And that's where I came up with this idea of a year long journey of committing to <laughs> handwrite five thank you cards every day for 365 days in a row. And uh, you know, Every card had to be handwritten, every day reset at zero. And um, if I missed any uh, any day, I'd have to donate $1,000 to charity for every day that I missed. So um, I had a pretty hardcore coach who was <laughs> very, very, uh, very big on accountability, but it was the start of an extraordinary year that really changed the direction of my life in, in so many ways, business specifically in how we developed and grew our business, but also personally, how I started showing up every day as a leader, um, in my house, outside of my house with clients, with our team. And it's kind of what got us to having this conversation today. So that was the genesis of this whole, uh, Mr. Thank you project. John, that's pretty remarkable. And, and we had the privilege of having you share your full story with our team back in November during our Amplify meeting. And 
it was really interesting for me to sit back and watch because we've had numerous speakers over the years, and yet you were able to connect with people on what seemingly is such a simple concept, write somebody a note, that had tremendous impact on our teams there, our teams who were not able to be at the meeting, and then on our team members' lives outside of the office by just reminding people to really focus on that rehumanization. You know, one of the things that your business is great at and, and you have in your corner is you like to use gratitude as a competitive advantage. When markets right. such as we're in right now shift, people think, well, I can't afford to market. I can't afford to grow my business. And yet what does a thank you really cost? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it can cost nothing. <laughs> And so when we had the opportunity to connect, John, you told us some of the stories about why you did it and how you did it and who you reached out to. Do you want to just share a little bit about some of how you started to feel as you moved through the gratitude movement and started to write these thank yous religiously? Yeah, well, and, um, and that's a great, uh, great segue into really what this project was, was somewhat of a cathartic thing to do, which is just write five thank you cards. I mean, everyone who's listening here has done this before, but you know, what I find that's interesting is when people can take a complicated subject to make it simple or who can take a simple subject and actually make it complicated and find the nuance inside of it, because what would be the difference? I mean, you know, I can ask everyone who's listening to this podcast, you know, Hey, do you have a letter or a note today that you've kept for years and years from somebody who, who sent you one? And probably everybody has, has that. Well, when you think about, is that the only thank you card you've received or letter you've received? And the answer is of course, no, you get tons of them from business partners and other people who you have lunch with and coffee with, or you send a wedding gift out to, and they send you the more obligatory thank you. And I think that's the challenge is that for a lot of people, gratitude has become more of an obligatory thing versus understanding it from the from the true transformational sense. So I'm going to like kind of separate this a little bit from gratitude and appreciation because gratitude as a concept is the definition is the emotion one feels when you receive a gift or experience something as a gift. And what that can mean is ultimately, yes, if someone gives you a surprise gift, right? We run a gratitude company. So yes, our goal is that you give somebody a gift, they're surprised, they're delighted, they love it, and they, they appreciate you more for it. Maybe they'll send you some more business your way. That's obviously one of the goals. That's what gratitude does. That's what it feels like. Now, the other side of that is the experience of something as a gift, which means it's, it's your perspective about it, right? And so a great example, you know, I opened my keynote with is the story of when I went to the airport uh, on the third day of the journey, um, because people ask an interesting question, which is like, you know, who do you write all your cards to? And the, the answer is um, whoever I can think of in the moment, right? It, and what's uniquely challenging about that is gratitude is not our default state, right? It's actually a very distinct thing. You don't have to teach a child to be happy, but you do need to teach them how to be grateful. Happiness is a natural state. Gratitude is a reflective state. You have to stop what you're doing, look at something and find the good, find the gift in the experience. So here I am at this airport and I'm trying to think of like, you know, who can I appreciate? Who's doing something great? And a lot of the answers were in the mundane things that are always there, but that are commonly invisible. 
And what I see when I get to the airport are the pilots of my plane sitting at Chick-fil-A. And I think, oh my gosh, I've never formally thanked the pilots on my plane. And yet they have mine as well as thousands of people's uh, lives at their hands every single day. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and appreciate these people. Um, but there's a lot more that comes along with this because the question now becomes, Lindsay, which is how do you appreciate somebody you don't even know you've never spent any time with? And what was you know great over time with the project is that I learned the word appreciate comes from the Latin word appreciare, which literally translates to to appraise or to set the value of a thing. So, which makes sense to a lot of people who are listening to this call who are in real estate because before you can fund a loan, what do you need to have? You gotta have an appraisal, right? And Right. And, and uh, so the question is, what goes into an appraisal? Um, well, someone comes to a property with a huge list of questions like, you know, what's the condition of this property? Is there any pest or termite damage? Um, what are comps for other properties like this going for in the area? They have all these questions and then they come back to you with an answer. It says, you know, I deem this property to be worth X dollars. So how, how do we apply that same principle to a human being? How do we assign value to another human? And so I learned there were three questions that I asked those pilots that really helped me connect with them really quickly, which I think is relevant because whether you write this in a thank you card or this comes out in conversation, what this is, is the, the tool of how to understand how we connect as people and how do you connect with someone rather quickly? So first question I asked them was, well, first of all, first question I asked them was, do you mind if I sit down with you? <laughs> and they said, sure. So I sit down with these pilots and I said, hey, I don't know what it's like to be a pilot. What's the best part about your job? What do you love about what you do? And they started sharing with some passion and with some excitement. You know, hey, if you've never been in the cockpit of a plane at 20,000 feet and you're looking down on the earth, I mean, that's a view that few people ever have, but that's what I do every day for my job, or that's what we do every day for our job. I thought that's pretty cool. Second question was, so why do you do what you do? Like, why did you get into this career? And the answers were interesting because they were different. Many of them were talking about how this has been a dream since they were a kid and they've always wanted to be a pilot. Many of them went to the military and then they got out and this was the next natural job. And so that, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. So you have, you guys didn't do this by accident, right? I think in real estate, a lot of us, <laughs> few of us went to college to become a real estate agent or a loan officer or a title representative or whatnot. Right. Um, but you know, there was intention behind their career. Third question I ask, which is always the interesting one, which is what's hard about being a pilot. What's the hardest thing about you, what you do. And you could see their energy change and it was, they started talking about all the things that they missed back at home. You know, family birth, family events, birthdays, anniversaries, get togethers, baseball games. And one pilot got really excited and he said, you know, actually this is the first year in 12 years that I get to be home for Christmas. And he was excited about that. And my heart broke for the guy. Cause I'm like, this is the first time in 12 years. And Lindsay, I had never thought about these things before. This is why I think that a gratitude and appreciation is so impactful in the course of making human connection, because most of the time, are we thinking about these things about the individuals we're interacting with? No, it's usually, 
Right. Yeah. Usually it's like, I have my agenda. I know what I want and I'm trying to see if you fit within the structure of what I need that can support me with my goals. But ultimately, yes, we need people to hit our goals. So how do we make connections? I think a lot of it comes down to what types of questions do we ask and what are we learning about people? And so by asking those three questions, what do you love about what you do? Why are you getting into this? You know, if someone's a realtor, right? It could be literally, hey, so so tell me about what you're excited about in 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 in, uh, in selling this home or in buying this home. What are you looking forward to? What do you want to feel when you walk into this house, right? Why? Hey, why are you selling? Why specifically now is it important for you to sell this property, right? Hey, why right now are you thinking of switching your career into real estate? Why do you think you want to join our team versus potentially someone else's team? Right. And the third question is like, hey, what's hard about being you? Hey, what are you afraid of in this decision? What are the biggest concerns you have about doing what you're about to do? And when you learn those key characteristics, you know how to show up in relevant service to what this person really, truly cares about. And so I finish this you know, conversation. I get on the plane and instantly know what letter I want to write. And it goes something like this, which is, you know, dear pilot, I'm sure it's weird to receive a thank you card from a passenger, but as I was boarding the plane today, I was thinking about how much I'm going to miss my family on this trip. And then I realized this is what you do every single day for your job. I can't imagine how many birthdays and anniversaries you've sacrificed for your work, you know, not to mention the hundreds and thousands of hours you spent in the cockpit training for your job because no one does this job by accident. You know, all of this to have some bad weather and some slightly bumpy landings and then clients complain about it. So whether you hear it enough or not, I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself and everybody on our flight. And I fold up the card and I write two very similar cards because there's two pilots in the flight. I'm exiting the plane. They're still in the cockpit. I hand them their cards, um, <laughs> which they accept awkwardly as most strangers do when I hand them a thank you card. And I get off the plane. I do this a second time on another flight uh, I had two legs on my trip. So there's two flights, four pilots total, four cards written. And this is what was interesting, Lindsay, which was, I don't normally do this, but I have only my business stationery with me at the time, which has my name, cell phone number, and email physically printed on the, on the card. So what was wild is within 24 hours of landing in Philadelphia, where I was flying through at the time, three out of those four pilots personally contacted me to say thank you for the card that they received. You know, one went on to say, John, in my 12 years of flying, I've never received a thank you card from a passenger. And I thought, that's crazy. How was that even possible? These guys with such a big, significant, important job, and no one's even taken the time to say thank you to them. It, and I thought, if that's the case for these guys with a pretty significant career, people's lives on the line every day, if they're not even being thanked <laughs> very often, what about everyone else in their lives and their jobs and their careers and their marriages? You know, it, it's, it's remarkable. And so th that is where I started to really see, okay, this isn't just like a cute, fun thing to just feel a little bit more gratitude. This is actually meaningful to people. And this is in some ways, Lindsay, and I know you get this because you're really involved in culture and team and really the, the heartbeat of the business. Some people have more connection and commitment to their job because they actually get the recognition and acknowledgement there that they don't get at home and vice versa. Recognition and lack of recognition and acknowledgement is the number two reason people leave their jobs and careers because they feel that nobody sees what is difficult about what they do. 
And every realtor, every loan officer, everyone who's listening to this has had this experience where you hustle super hard, you you go to bat, you do all these extra things for a client, and then they leave you a three-star review. And you're like, what the heck? You... What, what's that feeling like? That's feeling like ingratitude, like you didn't care about me. So when somebody pauses and actually thinks about those things and acknowledges it, it makes a huge difference in who I believe this person to be, which is, man, when I'm around you, I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel valued. That is something that is worth more to people than just how much their paycheck is. And, and so that for me, I mean, it was it's such a like, deep, powerful lesson that came out of, you know, writing a couple of thank you cards to some pilots. And so that was, fortunately, that was on day three. So that gave me a lot of momentum moving forward with, you know, how meaningful this project can be to people. That's a pretty remarkable story. I mean, every time I hear it, I just think that this, it's so simple, yet so not simple. When you think about thank yous, you talked about, you know, the obligatory thank yous, the thank you for the wedding gift, thank you for helping me, thank you for whatever it might be. I was reflecting back, my cousin got married in the summer and his wife kept saying to me, I'm so sorry you didn't get a thank you note yet, but I put him in charge of his side of the family, he's going to get to it. And I realized I actually care less whether I got a thank you card from them, right, for the gift that I gave them at their wedding. I wanted them to be happy, I wanted them to be celebrating, I was with them, that was enough for me. And yet to them, it was, I have to check it off my list. And, and gratitude really shouldn't be something that you're checking off the list. So one of our core values at Title Alliance is have an attitude of gratitude, ironically speaking. And after we had our conference in November, we came back and presented to our teams and put them on a 30-day gratitude challenge where we took all 180 employees and asked them to commit to writing at least one thank you a note for 30 days and just to really reflect on what it did for them and, and, and how they felt. And what was interesting is some jumped in with two feet and said, I'm gonna do five a day, forget this one a day. Others, you know, leaned in it a little bit, but then ran out of the who they should be writing to or the what they should be saying. It's like, dear agent, thank you for your deal, end of story. And that's nice, but that doesn't feel personal. And so, as you know, I took it as did one of my colleagues to our children's school. So I spoke with a total of 125 fourth through eighth graders and talk to them about the importance of gratitude. And, you know, you say happiness doesn't need to be taught to children, but gratitude does. And this was pretty remarkable. I turned it into a workshop and I said to them, you know, tell them a little bit about who you were and your story. Their number one question was, Mrs. Smith, is this guy real? Is Mr. Thank you a real person? I, said, I promise he is. Um, but I asked them, tell me who in your life you have to be grateful for. And they all shot their hands up. Oh, the bus driver and this person, my aunt, my uncle, my neighbor, my mm -hmm. dog. And I asked them when the last time they said thank you was. And they all looked at me like, well, why would I say thank you? They're, that's what they're supposed to do. And so I challenged them all. And I made every one of those students write three thank you cards on the spot and three notes of gratitude. And we shared them out loud. And they got really creative. Some of the kids wrote to the pastor at church. Some wrote to mm -hmm. their favorite sports bar uh, restaurant owners, chicken and peas, they were writing to the people that served them the food there. Others wrote them to people in the grocery store, but they were able to get really creative and say thank you to people for something they did that helped them versus something mm -hmm. that was obligatory. And then I challenged them all to work through a 30-day challenge as well and worked with the teachers so they were able to do that. So my own kids, I took them out for New Year's Eve dinner and we were in the melting pot. And I said to the kids, hey guys, are you going to say thank you to Roger? 
And they were like, Mom, we, we don't have any paper here. So they all took the crayons that they give you at the restaurant, and they took the kids' menu, which is paper, and all three of my kids wrote Roger a thank you note to say thank you for taking care of us, and thank you for bringing them sparkling cider, and thank you for all the things that you do. They were just, you know, they were a le typical 11 and 12-year-old thank you notes. And they called Roger over, and his first thought was, there's a problem. You're flagging me down because something's wrong. Your food's wrong. This is wrong. So when mm -hmm. my said, no, no, nothing's wrong, I promise, but the kids just want to give you something, this grown man almost cried in the middle of the restaurant because three kids mm -hmm. weren't complaining, but they were saying thank you to him for being there. And I just thought that it was such a powerful moment for them to just really reflect on how it wasn't hard. It didn't take a lot, but it changed them and it changed him. Uh, I love that. It, what's so great about what you just said there and what you did is it, when you look at why is something like this so impactful, and by the way, what could make it impactful and versus what might not make it impactful, right? The way that you did it is is super meaningful because more than being happy, like when you ask anybody, hey, what do you what do you want in your life? And they'll tell you an answer. I want a job. Well, why do you want that job? Because I need to make money. Well, why do you want to make money? Because then I can afford my you know bills and pay for my family and buy a house. And well, why do you want that? And ultimately, you keep asking the question, and the answer ultimately comes to usually, well, I think that's going to make me happy. And the surprising thing is that's actually not true, Lindsay, because what people want more than being happy is they want to know that their life mattered. And so by doing what you did, you gave this man's work meaning. And how many servers believe that their job is meaningful? <laughs> like probably not a high percent. So, and this is one of those unique things that it's hard for individuals to assign that own meaning themselves. You can if you're a pretty self-aware human being, but most of us are just kind of like, you know, struggling making it through life. So it takes another person to step in and do this. And the the reaction you got from the waiter is is not surprising because you did that for him. You gave meaning to his commonly viewed as meaningless work. And that's ultimately what we want more than anything. Um, so I, that's a fantastic story. I, thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're so welcome. So John, one of the things you talked about was how you ask people three questions. And I think asking questions is a fantastic strategy, not just for gratitude, but in general. In fact, I have one of my business associates who spent an entire dinner. We were in New Orleans at an event it was four hours long and he never answered a question. The only thing he did was speak in questions to other people. Now I knew what he was doing because he was experimenting and at a certain point I tapped out and said, you keep going, but I'm gonna move over here. But he engaged in four hours of conversation with people just by asking questions. You know, it was really interesting and I'm sure you see it in your business too. When people were asked the question, they wanted to engage and they, they felt like they were connecting to this person who they'd never met before but probably knows more about them than some of their closest acquaintances. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. What, what's, what's cool about that, Lindsay, is that questions um, remove fear, right? And this is very relevant when you meet something, someone of high caliber, right? So if you are approaching an agent or um, a client or somebody of like high net worth or high opportunity value, 
um, it's easy to get nervous. What do I say? What do I talk about? How do I look right now? And, you know, I'll never forget there's this woman um, uh, out in Ventura County, California, where I used to live before we moved to Dallas, Texas. And there's this woman named Ariel, and she was one of the uh, top agents in the area. I never met her, but she was, I mean, her name's Ariel, right? How do you not be like a multi million dollar producer with a name like Ariel, right? Sure. But uh, I see her ads everywhere, and, and so she happens to be at this NAREP event, right? And so um, she's at the punch. I wanted to get some punch, and so I start scooping, and I was like, hey, you're Ariel, right? And she said, yeah, I'm Ariel. And then, honestly, Lindsay, I don't even remember what I asked her next, but I just asked her about 15 minutes worth of questions. And then uh, by the end of that conversation, I just said, you know, I gotta be honest, a lot of times it can be intimidating meeting people like yourself who are very high producing agents. And I just wanna let you know, it's so wonderful to have a conversation with you and, and you just genuinely seem like a really nice person. And she was like, wow. Thank you so much. And we parted ways and, you know, I got her phone number and it's like, Hey, you know, let's stay in touch, whatever. And, uh, you know, I'd see her periodically at events and I never, by the way, I never asked her for business. I never said, Hey, can we take care of your gifting protocol? Can we do any of that? I just asked her questions and that for her, it allowed number one, allowed me to be relaxed into it. Cause I don't have to prove anything. I'm simply just getting to know somebody and, and two, it allowed her to feel like a, a source of contribution because she's getting to share something. That's something that, that we forget about is that um, when you ask somebody questions and they're sharing wisdom or advice, um, it actually activates a part of their biology that feels like they're being a, a, a contribution and they feel physically good. And when people feel physically good around you, they associate that, it's called positive emotional anchoring. They feel like that when they see you, see you or they see your phone number popping up on their phone. And so we just stayed in touch over the coming months. And then one day I just realized like, man, I've seen this woman like 24 times. We've never done business. I just literally called her out of the blue and I said, hey, we've never done business together. And I'm just curious, would you be open to that? And she's like, absolutely. And we started doing business together immediately. So I think that's just something really powerful that you talked about is that, in business, we can get so intimidated by personalities. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, the, what people want is simple. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be validated. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. And we can do that by writing them a thank you card. We can do that simply through conversation um, by asking some really good quality questions. So I totally agree with, with you and what your friend was uh, testing out that night. One of the things that I think is just impacted all of us is this digital world that we live in. If you go onto social media to wish somebody a happy birthday, guess what? It pre-populates what you're going to say to them. If you're looking at trying to text somebody on your phone, it tells you what to say. And so what I really love about everything that you did was it wasn't digital, it wasn't automated, and it wasn't canned. It was very specific and very personal to each and every one of the people that you were writing a thank you card to. And back to that whole rehumanization of business, if somebody got a thank you card that just said thank you and was signed by, you know, Bob, or it was a thank you card from a different Bob that was really, hey, thank you for the sacrifices that you've made and thank you for whatever it might be, it speaks to them and it wasn't just canned. I saw recently a post you did, John, talking about um, the automation of thank you cards where they look like they right. were handwritten, but they really weren't. I'd love to talk to you for on a little bit about that and what your perspective on that has been. Yeah, that's it's a it's a really funny funny subject. But I, I, there was a um, 
uh, I won't name the company or the name, but um, there was a CEO who reached out who ran a company that um, does hand handwritten with quotes, uh, thank you cards, but they're actually written by robot arms. And it's an interesting thought where, you know, you type into a computer, like you have a little portal, like, hey, I want to type a letter to this person. Here's the address. You type it in and then it handwrites or it uses the, the robot will take some samples of your handwriting and they'll write a letter to this person that looks like it was handwritten from you. Now, in a lot of ways, this looks like a very innocent thing, which is like, oh, well, you know, these were my words. I said them. Um, but the, the here's where I, I had issue, and I told the CEO this, I was like, it sounds like a really interesting idea, but it feels deceptive. And here's why it feels deceptive, because I'm trying to pretend, I want you to feel something that is not true. I want you to feel good because I hand wrote this. And why do we value handwritten cards? Because it takes, it takes time. And it's, it's like, wow, this person makes a lot of money. They're very successful. They took the time to handwrite this card. Like that's so powerful. Well, what, what if they got the card and they called you and said, Hey man, thanks for the card. And then you said, Oh yeah, no worries. Actually, I didn't even write it. It was a, it was a robot arm that I hired that does this for me. How do you think they would feel? <laughs> it's like, Oh, even if the words were meaningful from you, the fact that you didn't actually write it, it negates the power and the value to the individual. And so this is a very difficult line that we're all crossing right now with ChatGPT and all these different things that are coming out that are coming across as like very personal, but they're actually really done by a robot and a machine. And so I think that, um, you know, there's a, a, as kind of we mentioned, a, I run a gifting company, but we've actually built into a training company because we teach a lot of these philosophies and principles to business owners. And we have a totally different training we do called Becoming Irreplaceable, Human Relevance in the Automating Marketplace. And this is one of the biggest things that we talk about, which is don't delegate the things that make you human, right? Don't delegate the things that only a human can or should do. Um, because ultimately the moment you do that, you're replacing yourself. You're saying that some something else can do this better than me, or I'm not going to take the time to make this personal. And you can only do that so long before people catch on, right? Or what it does for us individually is it really negates our ability to make a human connection. It's almost like, Lindsay, I mean, this might be a little extreme, but I, I feel like it's like we're birds forgetting how to fly, right? Like what makes humans innately valuable is our ability to connect with each other. And if we're delegating connection to something else, then we're going to lose that ability. And uh, I, I'm, con I'm a little concerned about that, but that's ultimately the purpose of my work and in, in what we're trying to do and why we're having this podcast is to get the message out there that, yes, delegate and automate as much as you can that is repetitive, automated, that you don't need to do, that's maybe annoying, frustrating, that <laughs> is like a task that you can take off your list. But the things like the personal handwritten card, the individual phone call, making a video. Uh, by the way, I'm not even so structured that it, it all has to be about a handwritten note. I don't think so. I use BombBomb all the time. I'm a huge believer in sending video emails and messages and, and uh, sending text videos. And I love sending gifts that are personal to individuals because it, it tells them, you know, that I was listening, that I paid attention to them. Um, and I think that's really what we've got left is our ability to connect with each other. And uh, we don't want to lose that. So as I mentioned, we have about 180 employees in 12 different states, and this year we're celebrating our 75th anniversary, and our marketing team did an excellent job building a campaign to both honor the rehumanization and the connection and also our 75th anniversary. And so each month our teams are tasked with something they need to do 75 of. So in January it was 75 phone calls, February it's 75 text messages, 
and March at 75 Acts of Gratitude, and April at 75 Popeyes, and, and so on and so forth, right? And what we hear from our team members in the field is, well, can't you just do this for me in marketing? And so we've really mm-hmm. had to help teach them that we can build the structure, but if I call John and I'm having a conversation with John, it's very different than if John's person, his representative on the ground, who handles his transaction, who knows about all of his kids and understands where he is in his life, that's the person who's going to have the bigger connection. It doesn't matter what I do or how I automate it. It needs to be personal. And we talked about the text messages to your point and said, I know everybody likes to text. Personally, for me, a text is much better than a phone call in many cases because I'm just running so fast I can quickly ascertain whether it's important or not important to move forward. We made it very clear that their text just can't be, thank you for your business. It has to be something very specific and something very personal that they crafted. And we're trying to attract people in different mediums. Um, so I appreciate you really just spurring that, you know, that spark in inside of our team so that we were able to then push it down to everybody else to really help make an impact on them and their businesses. Can I, can I share a personal story about this, Lindsay? Can. So- so this is this is why I don't really talk about this, but so um, about a year and a half ago, our three she's two years old now, but our, our three month old daughter started having seizures on a family camp out and it was terrifying. Right. And it didn't even look like a normal seizure. It was just like her arm was kind of like convulsing a little weirdly. We happened to be uh, <laughs> with a group of new friends. We had just recently developed this new friendship community. And one of them used to be a, a nurse for a pediatric uh, neurologist. So she recognized it and said, Hey, your daughter's having a seizure. You should take her to the hospital. So we packed everything up. Everyone was there. Like they helped us pack an entire you know campsite in like 45 minutes. And then we like left to rush to the emergency room. And, and it was, a, it was like a two hour drive. It was very stressful. And then we, we get there and our daughter's getting all these tests and all these different things. And, um, you know, I'll never forget this, this mom, um, yeah, all the moms just like jumped on board and like, Hey, what do you need? Can we make, you know, can I clean for you? Can I, you know, can I um, bring some food by? Can I do whatever? And the first woman who came by to deliver um, food, uh, I'll never forget because um, I was just obviously very beside myself and we didn't know a lot was going on and, and she's okay. Like we've figured out since what's been going on and, and uh, you know how to support her. But um, it was a very scary time. And this woman comes out by with a meal and I, I'm thanking her. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, thank you so much for, what you did. And she says, of course, you know, um, ever since I've joined this community and it's, it's basically a homeschooling, uh, co-op community where we homeschool our kids. Um, you know, I've, I've had such an impact in my life and, and, uh, I didn't used to have that, you know, before I, you know, joined this community and, and, uh, was just kind of on my own. I'll never forget that I had, um, a, uh, a, a stone. What do you call those when there's a stone in your, your bladder or whatever, it's like gallstone or something like that. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so she's like, and so I I had, um, I needed to go to the hospital and my husband was out of town and I reached out to my friends, um, to say, Hey, can you come and watch my kids for while I I go to, I got to go to the hospital. Um, and, uh, they were all like, Oh, I'm busy. I can't, I'm busy. I can't, I'm busy. I can't. And so she literally had to ask a neighbor who she hardly knew to come over and watch her kids. But it was like an elderly woman who used to run a daycare. So she was like, you know, comfortable with it to watch her kids while she went to the hospital. Well, she's in the hospital for, you know, a few hours and needed to come home. So she reached out to all of her friends and said, Hey, you know, I I'm done at the hospital. Is there, is there any way you can give me a ride home? And 
her friends responded with, well, why don't you just take an Uber? And <laughs> she, she shared that story with me and, and she said, I realized at that moment I have the wrong friends because they didn't want to actually help. They wanted to delegate and automate the help, which you, you can't do and have somebody feel cared for. And so she said, when I joined this community, they've already been so helpful for me and supporting myself and our family that I just, I have to return the favor. And I mean, I just broke down because I hadn't felt that cared for before either. And something that I say, you know, differently in our, in my keynote that you heard, which is that loyalty is often based in inconvenience. Loyalty is often based in inconvenience. You know, when I meet brokers and, 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 uh, you know, managers and owners who have left companies and moved and started new brands, but yet they've brought half of their team with them or oh, all of their team with them. It's because they were the type of leader who was willing to lead when it was inconvenient. They had their agents back when it, when it, they maybe didn't need to, but they went to bat for them. That's why we want to deal with humans right? Is because their ability to advocate, to fight for us, to support us during challenging times. That's the purpose of loyalty is we want somebody there when times are hard. So the question is, what do you do when people around you are struggling? Do you simply delegate it? Do you give it off to your assistant? What do you do with it? And, and so it was, so I, I think that really just kind of speaks to what we're talking about here, which is that's, I believe why, um, we can't, delegate loyalty because it has to be earned by what we're willing to sacrifice in a relationship. I have goosebumps just listening to and hearing that story and in reflecting on experiences in my own life where you just really see who shows up. And to your point, it wasn't the ride. It was probably the conversation or the, the fear or the, oh my gosh, I left my kids with my neighbor who I've never really met before. That's what she needed from her friends in your example here. She needed that and they didn't want to get, they didn't understand that. They're like, all she needs is a ride and the ride can just come from anybody. Right. Yeah. In, in, in the, the, the deeper sense, right. If we want to get very primal and psychological, when we think of relationships, we, we ask two questions. Is this person going to help me thrive? And is this person going to help me survive? Right? Are they going to help me achieve the big goals and dreams that I have? Are they well connected? Do they have a lot of money? Do you have these things? And or will they help me survive if I'm struggling or or the rebels come over the hill and they're ready to take our village? Right? Can I trust that this person is going to have my back when push comes to shove? We're always asking that question in our, in, in interactions. And something I tell audiences is that every client interaction is an opportunity to deepen the relationship and to create the context for the future. So don't take individual conversations and individual meetings lightly because every time they're judging and asking, can I really trust this person? And, and something to note is you can't create that level of trust in one conversation or even in one transaction. It will typically take multiple times and experiences of seeing who you really are that have people know whether they can truly trust you or not. I think about the image of a piggy bank. And every time you have one of those interactions, you're putting money into your proverbial relationship bank. And when you have money in there because you've invested in the relationship and you've invested in these connection opportunities, when something doesn't go quite right or when there's a challenge, people are going to look back and go, but my bank is really full because it actually made an effort. And think about this from a business standpoint. 
when you're working with a vendor and they have 99 times done a really good job and really connected well with you and really done what you needed for your client and they mess up one time, you're going to be more forgiving. But if you've only had one experience with them and that experience is not a great one, you're getting your NSF fees from your bank and it's saying there's just not enough to pull from here. So we all have to just constantly pour into pour into that. Uh, yeah, it, it, and just such a great point because the easiest relationships to take for granted are the ones that are closest to us, right? And in some ways, what that looks like as a business owner is it's a client who comes back for the second time. And and it's like a, a great call, right? You, you did a, de- a deal with somebody and then they call you and they're like, hey, I got another deal. We wanna sell our house, we wanna move. And it's like, oh, that's so great. And maybe because we're familiar, maybe because we're used to that relationship, we don't do all the things that we did the very first time. We're a little bit more relaxed on our process. We don't send them the things. We're not as detailed in our communication because we're like, oh, they know us, they like us, they trust us, it's good. And then at the end of that experience, what the client feels is like, wow, that was good, but I kind of felt like it wasn't as good as the first time. And to to uh, uh, to to give a quote, someone else, someone else's quote is, "It's better to be consistently good than occasionally great." Uh, that's from Mark Sanborn and the Fred Factor. It's better to be consistently good than occasionally great. And I think that that goes so much to what you're talking about here, right? Which is like, how do you keep showing up in your relationship so that you can build that network equity? Absolutely. John, you had the privilege to do a TEDx talk. Tell me how that made you feel and really what you got out of that experience personally. Yeah, well, I think what was, I mean, that was a bucket list experience to do. And it came about here. And here's the cool thing, kind of going to that exact point we were just making here, which is um, that I was offered a TED talk. They called and said, hey, would you like to do this? That's not normal. Usually, it's like you got to apply and you apply to multiple places because you have a message and a story you want to share. That's the standard protocol. And so what happened, so I can, I'll share a little bit how, to, how, how it occurred, which was, um, I think that it's valuable for us to look for opportunities to really make somebody feel important. And that sounds very simple, but I'll give you an example of it. Um, so I had just finished the Mr. Thank You project. I had gone my 365 days. I only missed one. I only had to write one check for a thousand bucks. And uh, I was going to an event, which I think Lindsay may have been where we initially met at, which is with Hal Elrod, right? So Hal um, uh, Elrod, author of The Miracle Morning. He's also a good friend of mine. And so he knew about the project. So his friend, John Berghoff, was gonna interview me on the stage at his event. So we do that, but I was t- telling some stories to a few friends uh, uh, on a break from the Mr. Thank You Project. And they're like, oh man, that's so amazing. I wonder if we could do something really special for Hal because you know he had just recovered from cancer. He basically had to disappear for a year to recover from this really, really life-threatening illness. And I mean, his parents, you know, almost saw him die for the second time because uh, he had, you know, car accident early in life. And then his wife had to deal with a, a dying husband. Who knows what her future, what the family is going to be like. It was a very tumultuous time and he was on the other side of it. And so I thought, well, what if we can do that? So we partnered with his assistant and we had a folder made that said, um, you know, dear, uh, dear attendee, there's like 300 people in the conference, dear attendee, you're invited to participate in the Mr. Thank You Project where we send love, gratitude and appreciation to people who really deserve it. Uh, imagine what it was like for Hal's uh, wife who had to deal with the possible loss of her her spouse, um, especially the children, what it might have been like for them seeing their dad wither down. 
Um, and not to mention his parents uh, who saw their son die almost a second time. So inside of this folder are four sheets of paper and you are invited to write a thank you card to any one or all four of the family members, including Hal. And we're gonna collect all of these on the last day, look for the brown box at the front to drop your cards off. So we plan this literally on a break, right? So we have like, we go to the printer or we get these things made. I mean, we didn't even have cards. It was just like sheets of paper cut in half. And that was the thank you card. And uh, we collected on the last day, like three or, uh, it was like it was like 800 thank you cards. It was insane. And so then we had some people break them up into stacks like this one was for Hal, this one was for his wife, this one was for his mom. And then we structured it where I was being interviewed during the event and we had them ask, you know, um, I had John Berghoff ask me the question like, hey, what's the next thing for you guys to do? And I said, hey, we really want to do something with this, these communal gratitude experiences where we get other people involved and in really loving on someone special. And then someone's hand raises and then we pick on the person and what happens is they're like, oh, this has been really meaningful. In fact, I have a letter that I'd love to read um, to Hal's dad. And then he reads this letter. And then of course, everyone's like clapping and cheering. He's like, oh my gosh. Then another person stands up and they're like, oh, I have a letter too. And then they read a letter to Hal's mom um, about what she went through. And then, uh, and then the next one was Hal's best friend who was there at the accident when he almost died in a car accident. And he reads a letter that he wrote to both Hal and to his wife. And by this time, everyone's just crying and it's super emotional. And then I invite Hal and his family to come on stage and I present them each with stacks of thank you cards from everyone in the audience. And it was just this insane, insanely powerful experience of, of acknowledgement and recognition that was so visceral, like everybody felt it and everybody got to participate in it, which is what made it very special. And, uh, and then after that event, uh, there was someone who was connected to a TEDx organizer and they reached out and they said, Hey, we heard about what you did at this conference. We'd love if you'd be willing to come and do something like that for Ted. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So this, this Lindsay from writing thank you cards, like that sounds like the silliest thing, but is it, what are we really getting at? What we're getting at is the root of what do people really want, which is they want to know that their life mattered. And what if we made it our job to remind people that their life mattered because at any given moment, they might've forgotten that it does. I mean, how many people out there are struggling with depression and suicide um, and, and, and alcoholism and, and other addictions because they feel alone. They feel like they don't matter. And the thing is like, I can't say, Hey, Lindsay, I'm not feeling great today. Could you write me a thank you card? <laughs> like it doesn't work like that. Can you acknowledge me for like the things that I'm good at? So we have to take it upon ourselves as human beings to say, I'm going to stand for that as who I am in the world. And I, I think, you know, we can all ask like, Hey, what's your gift? What's your special uniqueness? And I think for me, that's what it is. It's simply acknowledgement, the ability to look at somebody, look at what's good, look at what they struggle with, what's hard and acknowledge them for it. And here's the interesting thing, because I know a lot of us don't like to share our weaknesses and what we struggle with. But when we understand what someone's going through and what they struggle with, it actually makes everything they do that much more valuable, right? We had a sales rep uh, years ago that worked for me um, and he was like really good. And you know, he, he did an amazing job um, and he was our number one rep. Well, I forgot to mention he was blind 
And he was so so instantly, right? What he just did, like, okay, great, top sales are up. Oh, he's blind. Elevates the value of what he does. Most of us don't dig into our relationships, to, and it's not like, hey, tell me all your problems, right? But it's like, hey, what's it like to be you? And you don't necessarily get that on the first conversation, but digging with people over time, and when we know those things, and we acknowledge them and appreciate them about people, it changes the relationship. So that I think is is hard it's like the whole behind the curtain that people didn't realize was going on with this whole like thank you project like oh that's cute john's writing a lot of thank you cards then you learn this whole other part it's like oh my god <laughs> like this is so much different than i thought it was and again i don't even think it needs to be about a handwritten thank you card but what i do love about handwritten thank you cards is it's a tool it's a mechanism that we can have a great conversation, Lindsay. You can tell me some personal things. I can ask you the three questions. What do you love about what you do? Why are you doing it? What are you struggling with right now? And you know, three days later, you can get a note in the mail that acknowledges those things and appreciates you. And it's like a little time bomb of love that shows up in your life. And it's like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. And from this, from the, you know, in my business, the gifting side, that's what makes gifts work is when they're unexpected and they activate positive emotion um, in a time when they're not expecting it. And so I think that's where, why this is effective on the, the scientific side of it. But the point is that it matters. It makes people feel good. They feel like their life matters and they actually approach their work better, right? Just think about that. Somebody who gets acknowledgement like you did for that server. I'm, what I'm actually really curious about is what was the next person's meal service like knowing what you did for him and how he felt going in from a deeper level of service and meaning in his work. That's what's cool. I think that's, I think that's absolutely phenomenal. And you know, John, when you pay attention, when you write the thank yous, it shows the person that they're, you're present. You're not distracted with everything else when you're able to write something that's not canned and is very personal and ties back to them. You and I have a mutual friend, good, uh, good man, Brother James, and, and we'll paraphrase his and end our podcast on this. But I challenge all of our listeners first to uh, purchase John's book and follow the Mr. Thank You Project, but also to think what and who are you grateful for? Thanks so much for being with us today, John. I really do appreciate it and look forward to us connecting again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you everybody for joining us on this episode of Tidal Alliance Live. For more information about Tidal Alliance, please visit our website at www.tidalalliance.com. If you're looking for an opportunity with us, please visit our career site at www.tidalalliancecareers.com. Tidal Alliance produced this podcast with the help of the marketing team at Bow Digital. Be sure to look out for our latest episode released each month. Subscribe to our podcast today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and other major listening apps.